This August, Cheng Wei, the CEO of a Chinese technology startup named Didi Chuxing, went to an upscale Beijing bar for a drink of Baiju, a traditional Chinese liquor that I know from personal experience is very difficult to drink. His drinking partner was Travis Kalanick, his arch nemesis, his bete noir, the founder and the CEO of Uber. Uber and Didi were finalizing a historic deal after a year and a half of furious money-losing competition over the ride-hailing market in China. The two companies had reached a detente. Truce in the multi-billion-dollar price war for China's ride-hailing market after losing nearly two billion dollars in just two years. Cheng Wei was virtually unknown on the international business stage, but here he was, 33 years old, four years off a job as a salesman at Alibaba. The Chinese e-commerce giant drinking with the world's most famous, controversial, and feared entrepreneur. Now Uber is the dominant ride-sharing company in the U.S., in Europe, in South America, in some parts of Asia, but not in China. They competed hard for China, spending about two billion dollars. But this was all akin to a defeat. It was abandoning its team in China and its bid to win the world's largest transportation market. In late September, I flew to Beijing with my distinguished colleague Lulu Chen to sit down with Cheng Wei. Very little Chinese. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. He said that Travis's alcohol tolerance was only so-so, but he really only had good things to say about Uber. Uber is also a great company. They have the best strategy in China among all the Silicon Valley companies. They're not like a usual foreign company in China. They're more like a startup, full of passion, feeling like they're fighting for themselves. Hi, this is Brad Stone, and I'm Lulu Chen. And this week on Decrypted, we're bringing you the story of the Uber Slayer. How does an entrepreneur with no previous experience running a business start a ride-sharing app back in 2012 in the midst of at least three dozen other rivals? And how does he then compete his way to the very top of the pack in China, into direct and ultimately victorious competition with the world's most highly valued and most feared startup? And more importantly, how does a startup like Didi, that has only lived in its short span of life, known furious competition, financial losses, and wartime environment, can it turn into a real money-making business? And can it fulfill its promise to solve the transportation problems of major Chinese cities? So Lulu, let's let's start at the beginning. Tell me about Cheng Wei. What's his story? Well, Cheng Wei was born in Jiangxi Province. That's the cradle of Mao Zedong's revolution. He attended the Beijing University of Chemical Technology, not a top-tier college in China. He had a series of odd stints. At his worst, he was the assistant to the manager of a foot massage parlor.、Um, this was because some very misguided advertisements that he saw. He thought he was going to work for a healthcare company. How did he get the job at Alibaba? Well, he just literally showed up at Alibaba's office in Shanghai. He went to the front desk and asked for a job, and they welcomed him. I was 22 when I graduated from university and joined Alibaba. That time, I was a blank piece of paper. I could only get 1,500 yuan a month at Alibaba, a level P4, the lowest level of employee at Alibaba. And it was at Alibaba selling ads that Chung reported to this guy named Wang Gang. When Wang was passed up for a promotion, he gathered some of his mentees, including Chung, and they brainstormed ideas for startups. 
The inspiration came from an unlikely source. Call it the Tinder of China. Here's what Wang Gang told us. In February 2012, we saw an app called Momo. We saw for the first time that you were able to track girls based on their location. The idea of location-based apps came into view. So Chung left Alibaba along with Wang and a few other colleagues.、Uh, Wang funded the bulk of the 800,000 yuan, the startup money that they had. It was worth about 120,000 dollars at the time. They rented out this shabby warehouse and they called themselves Didi Dachua, which means Hong Kong Taxi. It was only later in 2012, in the dead of winter, that I first heard about the company. It was a lucky break. At first, users had no habit of using phones to hail cars. But that winter, on November 3rd, we had a huge snowstorm. No one could get home, so people tried it out. The drivers exclaimed, "Wow! So many people hailing cars. This isn't a fraud." And passengers were able to get cars, so they would say, "I got a car. Amazing!" In fact, it hasn't snowed as much in the past two years. If it didn't snow that year, maybe Didi wouldn't be here today. And at the time, Didi was in this battle with about 30 other startups doing similar things. The smart decision that Didi made early on was to target taxi drivers instead of black car chauffeurs, because there are so many more cabs than black cars out there. Didi's early employees called each other classmates, as they had at Alibaba, and they were a tight-knit group, dedicated, scrappy, and pretty relentless. There was this one time when one of Didi's rivals rented out the entire Beijing airport to promote their app.、Uh, what Didi did was flock to Beijing's biggest train station instead. And as the cabbies moved along the pickup station, they would chase them down, convince them to use their app instead. It was pretty tough getting up at 4 a.m. in the winter cold. Not a lot of teams can commit to that. An interesting dimension to competition on the internet in China is reliance on what's called the Big Three. Baidu, which is China's big search engine, Tencent, a combination of social media and video games, and Alibaba, the e-commerce company. The company with the strongest connection to one of the big three usually wins. And in early 2013, Didi was dealt a big blow. Alibaba actually invested in one of its chief rivals, called Kuaidi. Wang Gang told us that he called a friend of his at Alibaba who wouldn't commit to an investment in Didi. So I thought them investing in my competitor that might mean that they want to kill me. So in order to survive, we needed to find a big tree to lean on. At that time, WeChat was soaring. So as a user-oriented product, Tencent would help us more. Baidu didn't have any highlights in mobile internet, so we didn't want to take Baidu's money. Chung Wei taking on Tencent as an investor and a partner in Didi changed the whole ride-sharing world in China. Because in early 2014, over the Lunar New Year, Tencent launched a promotion on WeChat called Red and Blue. The Chinese people have a custom of giving each other red packets over the New Year. Tencent thought, why not digitize it and change it into a game where people in group chats can fight over these little amounts of money? And so Tencent tried this out with discounts on Didi's cab rides. It wasn't so much about the actual money, but the entertainment factor. One lucky person in the group might get a windfall, while the other people just get a few cents. It was an instant hit. The discounts ended up attracting so many users that at one point the servers at both companies crashed. Didi's engineers would see users scurrying to their site after Kuaidi servers crash and 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 back and forth. 
Yeah, it was pretty intense. At one point, Cheng Wei had to go to Tencent and ask the founder Ma Huatong for a thousand servers and fifty people to help them out. They were holed up in the offices for so long that at the end of、uh, the so-called seven-day, seven-night battle, one of their employees had to go to the hospital and have his contact lenses surgically removed. So the story became sort of this. Myth in the company、um, that people still talk about today, and it's the name of one of their conference rooms. Even this was really the beginning of the irrational period in the Chinese ride-sharing wars. It kind of spiraled into a free-for-all, free-spending proxy battle between Tencent and Alibaba, which had its own payments app that they were promoting called Alipay. Didi and Kuaidi were the pawns or the proxies in this high-stakes war. The competition for users was fierce and vicious, and both sides seemed ready and willing to spend inordinate amounts of money. Since people know that the winner takes all, since people know that the competition will be fierce, why not put in your best weapons from the very beginning? This is the background of this time. So only those competitors that know the rules best can have the chance to win the competition. You know, as the battle between the two Chinese ride-hailing companies intensified, there was also a barbarian at the gate. Uber had been experimenting in China for a year, and by now they were ready for a major expansion. So this is the end of 2014, and Didi and Kuaidi decided that it was time to end their blood feud. Yuri Milner, who's the head of the Silicon Valley venture capital firm DST, acted as the go-between for Tencent and Alibaba, and told Cheng Wei, "As long as you guys merge, I'll invest in you." So, from the beginning of 2015, Uber and the combined Didi Kuaidi embarked on a 15-month war, and it was a brutal fight. Their technology was readier, and their global marketing strategy put a lot of pressure on us. At that time, we felt like the People's Liberation Army with basic rifles, and we were being bombed by air forces and missiles. Both Uber and Didi raised billions of dollars from every corner of the globe. Didi got a billion from Apple. Uber got 3.5 billion from Saudi Arabia. And this is what made Cheng Wei such a perfect foil for Travis Kalanick. He seems mild-mannered. But we could tell from visiting his office the kinds of books he has in his bookshelf, his use of military lessons from history, that this is a guy who loves competition. And Didi really upped its marketing and IT infrastructure after Uber came to China. After half a year's of battle, they had some sense that they probably could win this battle. Uber ended up spending two billion dollars in China over the course of two years. Even for a giant like Uber, it was too much. And they decided to bow out of China this past August. Lulu, why was this such an important country for Uber to win? Well,、um, to think about the market size, it's just so significant, such a great opportunity that Uber probably thinks they can't afford to lose out. If you think about it, there are seven cities in the world that limit purchases of automobiles. China has six. The country already has 184 million vehicles. And if people all aspire to that middle-class lifestyle where every family has two cars, that model is just not sustainable. Already, Beijing and Hangzhou have some of the worst traffic jams in the world, so the road simply can't support that many cars. Ride-sharing is a great solution, and probably Uber saw this as one of the biggest opportunities outside of the U.S. Did the home field advantage have anything to do with it? I mean, do you think that the Chinese government made sure that Didi would win? 
Exactly. The road to China is not smooth and all sunshine. If you look at it, it's been littered with the corpses of other foreign companies like Microsoft and also Facebook. Regulatory hurdles have always been something that foreign tech companies have faced in China. In this case, Uber definitely was facing local restrictions, hurdles at both the central and local government level. But that was also true for Didi. In fact, this is a company that has been halted some 30 times、um, due to local regulations, and it's also had to pay hundreds of millions in fines to cover it for the private car drivers. And it's probably worth pointing out that Didi's battles with the government seem to be getting worse right now. China's three largest cities just proposed a rule that would have huge implications for Didi. Yeah, that's actually right. Shanghai, Beijing, Shenzhen have all proposed draft rules that stipulate only drivers with local residencies can be allowed to operate on the private car-hailing platforms. If that rule is passed, it means, like in Shanghai, for example, only less than three percent of the currently registered drivers are qualified, and only about twenty percent of the vehicles meet the demand. So that could be a huge blow to Didi and lead to a drop in supply and rise in costs. Do you think Didi can be successful in peacetime when it doesn't have an arch enemy to fight? Well, I think they still face a pretty steep task.、Um, for one, they need to become profitable, and then also they face all these regulatory hurdles that are not clear yet. They need to be more attractive to investors if they wanted to aim for an IPO. Right, and that's already creating friction with both riders and drivers. The war was good for everyone except Didi. I mean, we took some rides in in an Uber and in, in Didi last week, and you know we talk a little bit about what we heard. People are complaining that it does seem like、uh, fares have gone up. And driving for Didi has become a less lucrative gig. Exactly, and you know, for Chongwei, ultimately, taxi is just the beginning of his empire that he envisions.、Um, what he really wants probably is much bigger. He mentioned a few other services like buses, bike sharing. Basically anything with the seat on it, not to mention driverless technology. Those are all areas that he wants to expand in. That's it for this week's Decrypted. Thanks for listening. If you have an iPhone, be sure to subscribe to the show on iTunes or any of your favorite podcast apps out there. And while you're there, please take a moment to rate and review our show. And tell us what you thought of today's podcast. Write to me on Twitter at, at @bradstone. And I'm at Lulu Elon. This episode was produced by Aki Ito, Tara Zorovich, Magnus Henriksen, and Liz Smith, with help from Renita Malhotra Hora. Aaron Black and Matt Burley assisted with recording. Alistair Barr and Eric Newcomer recorded the English translations from our interviews with Chung Wei and Wang Gong. Alec McCabe is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. And before we let you go, just a quick note on last week's episode on Fab.com. We said that a private equity firm bought Fab for 15 million. But Fab was actually sold to PCH, which is a manufacturing company. Despite that error, it's still a great episode, and if you haven't already, I hope you'll check it out. We'll see you next week.